Everybody say, gives the tide. I got a clap from a message. I like that. Thanks, Mom. Um, <laughs> Against the Tide is a series, and the title of my message is, What King Are You Counting On? What King Are You Counting On? That's going to make sense in just a second. We bow our heads. Oh, God, I thank you that you have a plan for today. Lord, we don't, you, tell us about, you tell us not to worry about tomorrow. You actually tell us just to live for today. And so there's so many things right now that are trying to steal our energy, steal our focus, and we're trying to plan out the rest of the week, maybe the rest of the year. We're, we're thinking about work tomorrow, but, oh, if we could just put those things where they're supposed to be and actually focus on today and receive what you have for us today, our tomorrow will be even better. So, Lord, I pray my words would fall to the floor and that your words would soar. Oh, God, we need you. We need you. And everybody said? I want to start with the illustration, if that's okay with you. Picture this. You're at your house, and you go and check your mail. And you go to the mail and you find this letter and it says that you, everybody say me. It says you are the heir to the throne of England. They did a study, they found out, they did 23andMe, Ancestry.com, and they're like, oh my gosh, you are, you are the heir. Now, if you got this letter, what are the things that would pop in your head right away? A couple things. Wow. My financial uh, game just changed. I am now a millionaire if you weren't one before. Your citizenship has changed. Your status has changed. A ton of things have changed just by this letter. I would even go a step further. If you're single and you got this thing, you'd be like, oh my gosh, royal wedding. I'm going to be on TV. Everybody's going to have to watch. You're welcome. Uh, even Rachel and I, if I got this letter, we're already married. I'd be like, we're doing a renewal vow ceremony because we are having our royal wedding. Okay. Even though I found out seven years later, I still were going to do it. You, you would go through this process. I think the majority of us would agree that if we got a letter like that, the last thing we would do is just go, oh, whatever, and just throw it in the trash. This, this news could change your life on this side of heaven in a major way. You would investigate something that would change your life in a thousand different ways in a good way. You wouldn't just throw it away. Maybe some of you would, but that would be foolish. Now, let, I'm going to, another letter. I may not like this letter. Is there a ring in the speak, speaker a little bit? Okay, thanks. Um, <laughs> good talk. Uh, I'll proceed. All right, second letter. Second letter is this. Imagine a second letter you go and check, and it's from the IRS. And everybody said, I bind the IRS in the name of Jesus. Um, I've never met anybody who likes IRS. Besides, and I don't think the people who work at the IRS don't even like the IRS. But anyways, uh, anyways, you get a letter from the IRS, and it says you owe $500 million. And you can be saying to yourself, I have never even made that much money. How do I owe the IRS $500 million? But if you throw this away could ruin your life. You could go to prison. You could, if you ignore this, um, this letter, it could actually destroy your life. These are two things that you would investigate and go through the process because it could affect your temporary life. Well, Jesus comes on the scene in Matthew 3, 2, and he makes this declaration that could change your life and my life forever. And it has changed my life forever. And he simply says this. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is a thick verse Theologians call this the kingdom of God, the now but not yet theory. That literally what it means is that, that heaven can reign in your life today. That Jesus comes on the scene and what he's declaring is, I'm the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and I'm establishing a new kingdom, and you're invited to be a part of this kingdom. And not only be a part of it, but you're invited to be royalty in this kingdom. And so the repentance thing is simply this. He's saying, turn against the tide that is leaving you to poverty, that's leading you only to culture, turn against the tide and follow me to this kingdom. And in this kingdom, there will be promises, promises of an abundant life, promises of restoration, promises of, oh, peace and joy and love and freedom. This kingdom is for you if you want to follow me and let me be your king. This is what Jesus is declaring in that verse. 
And you need to hear this real quick. How you perceive Jesus is how you receive Jesus. So if you perceive Jesus as a carpenter, he might fix a few cabinets for you. Prove it to you. Look in the Bible. He comes to his hometown and everybody knew him as the carpenter. And it's the one town where there's the lowest amount of miracles done because they didn't see the healer. They didn't see the savior. They saw a carpenter. And therefore, they didn't ask the king of kings and lord of lords to do actually what he could do in their life because they just saw a carpenter. If you perceive Jesus as this angry God, you probably have been running away from him thinking that he wants to punish you for everything that you've done. You just don't know the gospel. He wants to do the opposite. He wants to restore every mistake that you've made and every wound that's happened to you in your life. This is the good news message. He wants to take the things of death in your life and literally remove them from you and give you a new creation and make it life. If you perceive Jesus as a healer, oh, he may heal your mind, your heart, your body. And he would heal people, but he wouldn't want to stop there. He would actually want them to get saved. Because here's where we really need to understand it. This is how you perceive Jesus. If you perceive him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, He's not only going to fix some cabinets in your life, he's not only going to heal your, your body or your mind or your emotions, but he's going to change your life forever. I would meet people on a plane, talk to them, and they'll tell me an atheist, and I just like to ask them, so how did you become an atheist? You know, uh, we were eating dinner one night, and we were just talking about it, and it sounded good to us. Okay, okay, so your eternity was a dinner conversation. That was it. You didn't investigate it, you didn't process it. And what happens a lot is I feel like, People come to church, and if you're brand new to church, what a great message for you to hear today. It is going to challenge you to process where you are going to spend your eternity. It's going to challenge you to process where do you give your time and emotions, where do you plug your life into. I want you to hear this real quick. Uh, Turn your Bibles to Colossians, actually. We're just going to read the scripture, and then I'll unpack it. It's a lot. We're going to read a lot. Can we read a lot of the Bible today? Is that okay? Let's go. Colossians 1, 12 through 23, okay? So uh, if this is your first time, this is our week two of our series of Colossians. I knew I was going to do that. And what, what is happening in this book of Colossians is there's this church plant, and Paul is concerned that this new ideology that is coming into the church, that is uh, trying to impact the members of the church, the people of the church, he wants to make sure that this um, legalism, this uh, different ideology, mysticism, uh, dreams and visions of actually how they're supposed to operate as a church, they're going away from the word of God, they're going away from the boundaries of God. So what does Paul do? Does he address a hundred different idols? No, actually, he just talks about Jesus. So the book of Colossians is an amazing book. It's four chapters. The first two chapters talks about the person of Jesus. The last two chapters talk about the principles of Jesus. It, its heart and its whole ethos is this, is that if you are plugged into Jesus, he's the head of the body of the church. Oh, watch out, your life will flourish. But if you unplug from Jesus, you'll have a stale life. You'll have a life where you're always on the struggle bus because you actually aren't operating in the power and authority that is promised to you. I used a ton of illustrations last week to unpack it to save time. Go last week, watch it on YouTube. It's only an hour, it's an hour and five minute message. You'll have plenty of time to watch it, okay? Um, people will go like, hour and five minutes? I'll watch the other ones, 35. Um, I'm telling you, it's good, it's good, okay? Uh, Colossians 1, 12 through 23. This is Paul describing Jesus. And when I mean Paul, Scripture shows that God used Paul to write his word, oh, to breathe on it, to literally, this is a message from Jesus to you, Jesus to me. And here's what he says about Jesus. Always thanking the Father, he has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Stop. There it is, a kingdom again. So he's establishing that he is the king 
of kings and he's established his kingdom. There was a kingdom of darkness with a bunch of lowercase kings, basically lowercase gods that um, you could go worship, but they're not going to bring anything but death to your life. So he established this new kingdom of light and he's established it that you can actually come to it. You don't qualify yourself. He qualifies you. All right, let's keep going. Who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus says, you see me, you've seen the father. I looked at the mirror this morning and I wasn't pleased with what I saw. It's pretty accurate. I'm just going to be honest. Like, it's the first time I saw wrinkles in my eyes. I was like, son of a gun. Like, what's going on? I'm aging too fast, you know? Uh, even like my hair, I'm always like, how long is this thing going to hold on? You know what I'm saying? Like, my bangs have gone to be with the Lord already. And it's like, oh, oh. That wasn't supposed to be funny. I was just, I was, that was supposed to be like, a, oh, we're so sorry, Tyler, moment. So I'm rocking whatever this is right now, okay? And so... But the mirror was a correct representation of me. It was the reflection of who I am. And what this scripture is declaring is that Jesus is the perfect reflection of the Father. That he is showing you exactly who the Father is. He's, he's not saying, well, if you see me, you'll see kind of the Father. No, he goes, I am the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the visible image of the Almighty God. It talks about the fullness of God dwelling in Jesus in this verse. The fullness means, I always try to picture the Trinity. Is it a pencil? Is it an egg? Is it a pie with three slices? It's none of those things. There's a mystery to God. There's a mystery of the Trinity. The fullness of Jesus lives in the Father. The, the fullness of the Father lives in Jesus. The fullness of the Holy Spirit lives in Jesus. It's the fullness of God. They dwell in each other. This is something that's too big for our mind to comprehend because we are finite and he's an infinite God. If I could figure out everything about God, he wouldn't be that impressive a God. And so Paul goes to unpack these things that really will make you go, whoa, what did you just say? Wow, that's amazing. My God's that amazing. Goes on to say, let's, let's keep going. He goes to say, everything was created through him and for him. You were created for God. It is pleasing to him. He even says when uh, Jesus was baptized, the father was pleased. There's something about the way we live our life that pleases God. Let's keep going uh, for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Everybody say holds together. That's a big thing, man. Oh, Jesus holds our life together. Christians, again, they're not different from what they go through. They're just different in how they go through it. And so when the storm comes, Jesus holds us together. The worst news that happens today, it's not going to tear our life apart forever. But what happens is, is when the, the enemy shoots the biggest arrow at you and tries to explode your life, God's going to hold your life together. We're like, how did I get through this valley? This should have destroyed me. He holds all things together, including your life and your promises and your dreams. Let's keep going. Christ is also the head of the church. Oh, I'm so thankful he's the head of the church, not me. I'm just a servant. Come on. Which is his body. That's uh, uh, you and I. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he's the first in everything. He's declaring right now, you say firstborn. The context of this scripture would be easily received by the church of Colossae. They would, I totally understand it. Because the firstborn son was just as valuable as the father. The same level as the father. And so when he says he's first, it doesn't mean that he was the firstborn person. He was the beginning the Alpha and Omega. He is the creation before we were even created. So I want you to catch real quick. I, I believe this, that one of the things that, and there's so many, this is so rich, we could teach out this uh, chapter for a long time, but the fastest way for your life to run on empty is to make something else first in your life. The fastest way for your life to run on empty, for you to actually just deplete your, oh, why am I so tired? Why am I not, I don't have that much joy? Why is it? Because you're actually giving your best to something else other than Jesus. Give your best to your career. Watch how empty your life starts to feel, and you thought your career was the promise. The tide would say, put your career first, but what happens when you do that? You're going the wrong way because culture is directing your life. Put your kids first. 
And to be honest, your kids are amazing, but they shouldn't be first in your life. They'll wear you out. Put your spouse first and try to make your spouse meet all the needs that God's supposed to meet. You'll be really frustrated with your spouse. But if you put the God, oh, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who's supposed to be first in your life, watch what happens to everything else that happens in your life. He's the God of order, and he wants to order your life just the way he ordered creation. Is this making sense? Good. Okay, let's keep going. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of the, uh, Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who are once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and uh, actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and, as you, uh, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Anybody who struggles with shame, anybody who struggles with, I'm not good enough for the Lord, just read that verse all week. You are holy and blameless, and you stand before him without a single fault. Man, the world will, man, it will tear you apart. Here's a picture real quick. This is what sin does. These are two declarations I'm going to talk about. What king are you counting on today? One declaration is Jesus says, I've come to give life and give it to the fullest. I've come to give an abundant life. This is a declaration. I'm the king. I, I, come follow my kingdom. It says in Romans uh, chapter 6, I believe, it says the wages of sin is death. What does sin actually do? What's the description of sin when you actually really uh, um, uh, break down sin? Sin tears lives apart. Uh, sin uh, destroys people. Uh, you, you look at what uh, Jesus came to do. He came to actually rebuild what the enemy tried to destroy. He came to destroy death that is destroying your life, that is tearing everything apart to put you back together again. But it's not a back together again. It's a whole new life again, which is even better than Humpty Dumpty. Let's you know, glue them back together. I don't want to glue back a together body. I want a new creation. I want new promises. So here we go. But you must continue. Everybody say continue. To believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the insurance. Oh, there's that drift away. There's the tide trying to take you away from it. All these other ideas on how to live life. From the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Stop. This is so thick, but I want to look at two things today. Two declarations and then a warning, okay? So two declarations and a warning. Paul declares two things. One is he declares that Jesus is the king of the cosmos. That's earth, space, final frontier, wherever it is. It's the cosmos. And then he also declares that Jesus can also be king of your life. It's an invitation that, that this Jesus can actually be the king of your life. And what happens a lot, if I could just be honest, is all of us in this room, you've at least bought into some king that you think will get you to where you're supposed to go. So let's just share a picture of what that means. Say you're on shore, and there's five different boats that you can get in. And one of the kings in the boat says, hey, come, come to my kingdom. And all your promises that you have in your heart, come, come, come in this boat, and I'll take you there, and it will be, answer everything you've ever wanted. So that king we call is the kingdom of money. If you get in this boat, it will take you to all the money in the world, and it will answer all your prayers, all your promises. It will satisfy your soul. And so the Bible says the spirit of man is the number one thing that will compete with God. Because if I'm being honest, let's talk about sin real quick again. Sin will tear our life apart. And it says the deceitfulness of wealth. So sin means miss the mark. You plug your life into the wrong thing. Last week I talked about the, the, what Colossians is trying to say is when you plug into Jesus, freshness, power, joy, life comes when you plug into Jesus. If you plug into money, freshness, life, and joy are not going to come. So the enemy is trying to have you plug your life into something else with your time, your energy, your thoughts, everything that you have to give. Because what happens with money, let's just let's talk about two different ways that you live your life apart from Jesus. Because it just means to be living your life off the mark, off point, plugging into something else. So if somebody is drinking a lot of alcohol, I think that alcohol, king alcohol, 
dubs you a new citizen, and he calls you alcoholic. This is what happens. The, the, when you get a king, he even uh, makes you a new identity. You get a new citizenship. So alcohol, if you start drinking a lot, it's pretty blunt. Wow, that sin is tearing that person's life apart. I can attest to this. Everybody in my family was alcoholics. I saw divorces and suicide because alcohol destroyed a bunch of my family members, aunts and uncles. Money is sneaky. It's so sneaky. You see people buying things, and it looks like it's going to be good for the life, but it's this outside, almost putting lipstick on a pig kind of thing where it hasn't changed anything, and it's actually making your life more ugly than it's making it more beautiful. And so the kingdom of money has so many different titles. It has the title of success. It has the title of hard worker. It has the title of somebody who really understands how to do a great job in something. But really, when you make money your king, and that's what you chase, you look at your life and you say, man, i got nothing that this thing is actually desiring. And so what Paul is trying to establish with you and with I is that you have to make sure that you decide who your king is. What king are you going to count on? And so the king of the cosmos, what I love about it is that you even have to process creation. Let's process creation real quick. This is a phenomenal thing. So he's the king of the cosmos. You have to decide today. Maybe not today. That's kind of for You better decide right now. Okay, uh, maybe tomorrow. Process it if, you, if you've never been to church before. You decide, did all of this, earth, sun, moon, space, did everything come from nothing? Did all of this, something, come from nothing? Or did all things come from the king of kings, like it says in Colossians? He's establishing that creation has a creator and his name is Jesus and he's our king. And when you talk to somebody, even when I was talking to a person on the plane about being an atheist, and you ask them, well, where did everything come from? I don't know. Okay. You probably want to start there to understand where something came from. Did it come from nothing or did it come from the beginning and the end, the Alpha Omega, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He goes on to say that he's the God of order even in this thing. He's the King of order. He orders everything. Everything's in order. And so you have to decide, did, did this order, the way that our earth even spins around the sun, did it come from chaos? Did two rocks hit together and create this perfect order of how the, sun goes around, or the earth goes around the sun? Or did Jesus, maybe Jesus, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the perfect architect, create what we actually live in today? Now, sin entered, and now sin hurts innocent people. But I found this amazing article. I started reading a lot about science last night, um, and that was good. And then I came across the Huffington Post, and I love the title of it. And the title of it says this. We don't realize how lucky we are, is what the title of it was. And it was talking about how the earth um, spins around the sun. It goes on to say, well, a new study looking into the atmosphere of exoplanets has revealed just how lucky we really are. The team from Sorbonne University, that's in Paris, France, it's a research university, 50,000 plus students, has found that uh, were Earth to be just the tiniest amount further from the sun, it would be an unrecognizable, inhospitable ball of ice locked into a permanent ice age. Led by Martin Turbot, the team explained how CO2 would react in planets that were slightly closer or further away from their host stars. What they found was that even a small adjustment further away would cause the CO2 to condense at the poles, uh, forming permanent ice caps. Without any CO2 entering the atmosphere, this would drastically alter the greenhouse effect and turn in, uh, uh, turn, uh, would fail to warm up uh, the planet's atmosphere. What's worse is the team found that the situation would only get worse. If the amount of water ice increased, the CO2 would become trapped under the wa water ice, permanently resulting in a planet that would be stuck in a never-ending ice age. I love how he finishes it. Earth, then, is just in its right place. It isn't too far away that a CO2 has been trapped in the ice, and yet it's not too close that the greenhouse effect would uh, uh, hit overdrive and the planet become too hot. Stop. Romans, I want you to read this verse with me. It's, it's a powerful picture of what it says about creation. 
says, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. It's saying that creation screams about a creator. goes on to say, it says, yet they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols, other kings, you could put it that way, and uh, made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Stop. And you want to lead somebody to the Lord? You want to be a great evangelist? I say just take them to Tahoe, stand at Emerald Bay, and look at the sunset and say, tell me there's no God. Take them to Yosemite and say, look at this. You're telling me that this was just two rocks that created something this beautiful? Take them to Maui, Kapalua, at the Westin, sitting on our little lounge chair. <laughs> Have a little uh, water or a Mai Tai, whatever your convictions are, okay? And just look at them and say, tell me there is no creator. Wow, two rocks made this. And what Paul is establishing is that he's not only the king of our life, he's the king of the cosmos. And so when you move into this new idea of who the king is, it really will establish how much you'll even dream. Because if he's the king of the cosmos and he put that in order, just maybe, just maybe he could put your life in order. Just, just maybe, just maybe he could actually create a masterpiece just like um, Tahoe, just like Maui, just like Pebble Beach. Maybe, just maybe. Or how about definitely? He could design your life in a way that people would say, look at that life. Don't tell me there's no God. Look at that marriage. Don't tell me there's no God. Look at what they overcame. Don't tell me there's no God. And I believe that our life is a living testimony of the masterpiece of what God is doing in our life. Let's keep going. So here's what we're going to do. It's going to be kind of an interesting conversation. I've never really unpacked things this way before, but I just feel like this is just the ethos of the message. We're going to go there. Ethos is my new favorite word, so you're going to hear it a lot for like about a month. I like, you're like, ethos, cool, okay. Um, so there's a, a couple kings I think that I was just trying to identify, ask the Lord, what are some kings today that people are worshiping and serving? Because really, what, what's, what's the thing that you're trying to find out? Here, here's what it is. What will get you where you want to be? I think that's one of the questions we ask ourselves subconsciously. Maybe we don't say it out loud, but what will get me where I want to be? Another question we ask ourselves is, what will satisfy you the most? What's going to satisfy my life the most? That's a question you maybe don't say, but you're definitely thinking about it all the time, even by what you're going to eat tomorrow. And last but not least, what will reward you the best? What will be the most rewarding decision if I actually do life this way? And three of the biggest kings that are competing against the king of kings and lord of lords today in our culture, where the tide is going this way, I wrote down three kings. It's the king of pleasure, it's the king of self, and it's the king of culture. The king of pleasure, the king of self, and the king of culture. And again, I want to make sure I unpack uh, sin and I unpack really what happens when you start to live for God. So turn your Bibles to Matthew 5.13. Matthew 5.13. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot and worthless. Stop. The primary uh, purpose for salt at this time, what Jesus is trying to say is salt was used for two things. One is it was used to flavor things. So we, a new citizenship, when we say yes to the kingdom, we are now actually called to flavor this world with joy, love, peace, patience. When you walk into a room, you should actually change the room. When somebody eats a steak and it's delicious, so they say that's good salt or they say it's good steak. They say it's good steak. And so even when church is amazing, we complement it. We are not the main event. We are what we call flavoring it. We bring an essence to it, a.k.a. Ruah, the spirit of God. It's the breath of God. You bring a unique grace into a room, and you make it better, but you don't dominate it because you're the salt. You're not the main dish. That's Jesus. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I could use a lot of food illustrations every Sunday. Let's keep going. Second part of salt was it was used to make sure that things weren't 
falling apart. It was used to hold things together. And it says in Colossians again that Jesus holds all things together. And now because we have Jesus in our life, that we have the same responsibility. And so this is the fullness of life if we live this way. But it says, what happens to salt when it loses its saltiness? And what that is saying is, is what happens if you plug into something else? Because when you plug into something else, you start to lose the power and the flavor and the joy and the passion and the climate of the kingdom. And you start to plug into something else and it starts to affect your life and how you're even seen and how you see things. And so this is why Paul's saying, if you, if you remove yourself from the head of the body, you will not live. You'll lose your, your purpose. You'll lose your essence. You'll lose your joy. You'll lose what makes you so unique and so powerful. You'll lose the grace of your life if you go plug into something else. You are the salt of this earth. But what good is it, you, me, if we unplug from Jesus? Really, what are we going to do? What worth can we bring in our own strength? We can't bring anything without Jesus. All we bring is our sin. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's another message for another day, but it's true. Okay, um, so I want to talk about three types of ways that we struggle with sin. Because I think even when I talk about sin, I think that people sometimes kind of go, okay, hold on a second. What does that mean? Like, is that when I just make a bad decision? Is that when I get drunk? No, no I want to talk about the effects of sin. I want to talk about what sin does to your life, what Jesus' view on sin is. So if Jesus makes this declaration, let's go back to the beginning of the illustration. One is, hey, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, a.k.a. follow me. I'm your king. I'm going to give you an abundant life. Yes, please. I'll change my citizenship. I'll be royalty with you, Jesus. That's a great one. Another declaration the word of God says is that the wages of sin is death. Sin will ruin your life. So there's three things that usually in this room that where people are at. They're struggling with sin, they're practicing sin, or they're in the midst of conquering sin. And so the first one I want you to catch real quick is struggling with sin. Paul goes on to say this in Romans 7, 18 through 25. And he talks about it. I'll have you read the first half. We'll go down to verse 21. Then we can understand the principle of really what Paul is trying to say. is that I've discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Struggling. I love what God's law with uh, I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin and is still within me. You ever have thoughts that you're like, man, if anybody else knew what I just thought, they would walk out of the room real quick. This is what Paul's describing. And let's just be honest, sin is gross and is the darkest of the dark. It is death, it is terrible. And what the enemy wants to do is to have our mind be ran by sin instead of actually ran by the spirit. One leads to life, one leads to death. And so Paul's saying, I don't like what I'm thinking. How do I do this? And this is where the vivification is, the renewing of the mind. And I love, I love that there's hope at the end of this verse. He goes on to say, this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And I love how he finishes it. Thank God. Everybody say, thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So this sets the stage that we all struggle with sin. Everybody in this room, we all have unity. We all can actually have one affinity. Everybody in this room, we all struggle with sin. Everybody. If you don't, you're going to get raptured real quick like Enoch. Okay, here we go. Um, if you don't know that verse, I just freaked you out. It's all good. Second thing that happens is in this room, there's two things that you're going to decide to do if you struggle with it. So if you struggle with sin, you're going to decide, I'm just going to practice it, and I'm just going to do it, and I'm going to be okay with it. We'll talk about that. Or if you struggle with sin, you're going to say, Lord, there's a promise in your word that I can conquer sin. I want to conquer it for the rest of my life. So those are the two doors we have to decide from. So let's look at that real quick. So practice sin. 1 John 3, 9 simply says that those who practice sin are not acting like the children of God. A.K.A. that word practice in Greek, it says those who remain in sin, they're not children of God. They are not actually, they're worshiping a different king because they're going to have a whole different life. What's remain sound like? Those who are plugged into sin, those who practice sin, are going to be a totally different type of person. 
And what he's saying, if I could just make it really simple, is gospel in, gospel out. Jesus in, Jesus out. Love in, love out. You go plug in this in, garbage in, garbage out. Hate in, hate out. Lust in, lust out. We are a vessel. This is how our life works. I'll just tell on myself real quick. I'm 18 years old. Fell in love with the Lord when I was 16. I was working at a gym. It was the first time in my life I started struggling with lust. Now, I grew up, and I'll just be honest, I grew up with the internet being really slow. And so I remember being 15 and trying to look for something. It was like, and I was like, I'm out, too long. I'm just going to go play basketball. So the internet was too slow at my time for me actually to like get addicted in that way. So it just, again, I, and I'm actually thankful. I, I, I pray for the next generation because everything's got the internet. It's, a, it's literally the, the enemy is knocking on the door all day long. It says in Genesis that he's literally crouching at the door. So he's just knocking at the door from a cell phone. He's knocking at the door all the time because that's how technology works today. And the enemy's going to use anything to try to destroy your life. And so uh, my parents get uh, HBO and Cinemax and all these other uh, cable channels for the first time. And I'm going to community college. And I remember coming home and flipping through the channels and watching something I shouldn't watch. And then I went on for a season where I would actually know what time shows would be on. And I would watch them. And I know I shouldn't have watched them. And, and I walked down this season of lust. And I didn't really understand what it was doing to my life, but I remember one day I was working at the gym, and I, I worked at the gym and went to college at this time, and so I, I, a girl would walk in, and I, I couldn't even help myself, but I would check her out from head to toe, and I was like, what am I doing? That's not me. And this is somebody, I'm just going to be honest, I got married as a virgin, I didn't kiss a girl for 11 years, I was like, that guy, I'm going to be pure for my wife. But this is the first time I started walking down lust, and what was happening, lust in, lust out. I started having an essence of lust instead of the essence of the kingdom, because I decided to plug into something and practice something else that God never called me to practice. If you plug into money, and you think about money all the time, it's going to affect how you see everything throughout the day. And so I remember going, how in the world do I conquer this thing called lust? I, I, don't, want, I, don't, want, I don't want this to own my life. I, I, and so me and my buddy Drew, we signed up for this class at the, um, at the church, and it's called Every Man's Battle. And so we're 18 years old, and we show up, and we do a little group thing, and everybody shares what they're struggling with. And the first guy goes, and the second guy goes, and the third guy goes. And me and Drew go, we got to get out of here. These guys have real problems. This is, <laughs> this is some crazy stuff. Whoa. <laughs> And I'm just being honest, just keeping it real. And I thought to myself, I said, man, this didn't happen overnight. This stayed from them being plugged in to the wrong thing for years. And what happens a lot when you practice sin, what is that even verbiage talk about practice? Have you ever seen anybody practice basketball? They get good at it. They even invent new ways to, you could say, um, dunk a ball or dribble, and they're always working on tricks. When you start to practice sin, what happens with sin is it becomes a little flicker, it says. And then it becomes fire, and then it's all-consuming. Because what happens when you plug into the wrong thing is it's going to develop in your life, and you're going to invent new ways to sin, and your appetite's going to get so big that you, you thought the fire was a little nice, and it's going to actually destroy your life. So Jesus invites us to unplug from those things, and now to plug into the kingdom that comes restoration, freedom, joy, peace, patience, all the things that your heart really does desire, and will flourish in your marriage, your career, everything else. Is this making sense? So we talked about struggling. We talked about practicing. So now let's talk about conquering. Because that, that's the good news, right? Because if we just struggled with it forever, if we just practiced it forever, that's not good news. Conquering sin. So here's, here's what it says about conquering sin. I'm going to share three biblical ways that you can conquer sin. And the reason why I'm using the word conquer sin is three biblical ways that you can walk away from the kings of this world 
that have lied to you that said this is the most pleasure. This is actually the kingdom that you should live for, the kingdom of self, the kingdom of pleasure, and the kingdom of culture, the kingdom of money. Turn from these things and actually plug into the kingdom. So these are three ways that we plug in, three ways that we conquer sin. The first one's simply, uh, very simple, Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. So sin's going to trip you up. You're going to struggle with it. This, is, this, is, this, is, this verse is so rich. It says that sin is going to try to have you struggle. It's going to try to trip you up. How do we run the race then? It simply says we keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. It goes on to say, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. A lot of you think that this week, now that you want to not struggle with sin, you don't want to practice sin, that you're going to have to stay no to sin all day long. No, 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 no. That's, that's not what Jesus came on and said, one big yes this week, every single morning. I say yes to Jesus. When you start to struggle with sin, when you start to want to go back there, just, oh, say out loud, yes, Jesus. I say yes to Jesus. When you want to go to worry and you want to think about money, you say, no, yes, Jesus. Because here's the deal. How do you... What, how does lust work? How does all those things work? You need to start thinking about Jesus way more than you think about money. You need to start thinking about Jesus way more than you think about girls. You need to start thinking about Jesus more than you think about yourself. Let, let's look at this verse. I'll show you. This is another one. It says the word of God is going to help you literally conquer sin and actually plug into the things that you're supposed to plug into. It says this. How can a young person stay pure? Let's just say how does a person stay pure, okay? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He goes on to say, it gets better and better. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud. I've recited aloud your decrees. When's the last time you just spoke scripture on the way to work? When's the last time that you spoke a promise over your life? When's the last time you said purity over my life? When's the last time you decided joy over my life, victory over my life? This is the scripture that's telling us how you conquer sin. Instead of talking about your struggle, you actually declare your promise over your life. Let's keep going. I rejoice in your laws as, as much as in riches. I love that. I rejoice in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Stop. In the book that they gave us, one of the books to conquer lust and not to become a weirdo. Uh, that's literally what we would say to each other. Like, hey, I'm Tyler. You, know, it was, you had to make it light because it was so deep. One of the things, it's a very simple illustration. You may have heard it. But basically what happens is, is as you go throughout the day, the Bible says you can take captive of the thoughts or from the enemy. And so just picture a bird landing on your head. And instead of getting the bird off your head, you just let it chill. And then it makes a nest. And then it makes a bigger nest. And then it has other birds that hang out. And it's just on top of your head. Would that be weird? Yes. That's what it looks physically. Well, what happens spiritually and what happens in the spiritual is that we allow the enemy to plant thoughts in our head and instead of taking captive and throwing it out, we just let him set up shop. And we let lust get bigger and bigger in our mind instead of just taking captive and throwing it away. The word of God is actually, how do you get rid of it? Do you just throw it out? No, you actually fill your mind with the things of God. These are biblical principles from Jesus to conquer sin and have him be your king. And last but not least, hang out with people who love Jesus. Let's look at a verse real quick, and then I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Proverbs 13, 19 through 21 says this, It is pleasant to see dreams come true, but fools return to turn from their evil to attain them. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Trouble chases sinners, while blessings reward the righteous. Oh, what a, what, you got to hear what that just said. Walk with the wise, become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. you got to re, maybe re-engineer some of your relationships. 
Because if your friends love sin, their lifestyle is just going to tear you apart. They love to party the way the world tells them to party. It is not the road you want to go down. It may, the Bible says sin is fun for a season. Trust me, I lived in high school, I didn't grow up in the Lord. It's fun for a season, and then it absolutely destroys you. And then last but not least, Jesus came to establish a kingdom of light. A kingdom of light. So we're supposed to be light, says. And, and this is just a, a simple thing, but uh, Colossians 1, 12 through 14 says, And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in his inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Everybody say light. For he has rescued us from dominion. This is a, uh, where's, my, where's my handy-dandy prop? I'm going to use a prop today. So the decision you're going to have to make this week is who are you going to give your energy to? Who are you going to think about more? Uh, kingdom of self. You want to know why some people don't have relationships and why their marriage is tough? Because it's kingdom of self. What does it look like to have kingdom of self? You think about yourself most of the time. You process what you need all the time. You're always thinking of yourself. And then have you ever met those people that always think about themselves and they, they worship kingdom of self? They get into a group and you're like, all you do is talk about yourself. And what, what does that look like? Sin tears apart. You'll never be able to build relationships if you live kingdom of self. What does the kingdom of culture say? Man, fight a different way. You fight with anger. You fight with get bigger, a dog-eat-dog world. What happens when you fight like the world? It does not bring people together. It separates them. It creates a chasm. It starts to idolize things, and then we demonize the other group. This is the kingdom of culture. It tears apart culture. The kingdom of pleasure says that God became their appetite. So instead of actually doing what your soul desires, you just let your flesh walk you wherever you want to walk, and at the end of the day, you have nothing that was actually promised for your soul. And then there's this king that says, no, come, come in the kingdom of light. Enjoy freedom, enjoy peace. And what should happen is that your kingdom of light should actually light up this world and should change this world. It's a very simple verse, but it's one of my favorites. Matthew 5, 15 through 16 says, No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Stop. You want to hit the lights? <laughs> clap, clap. Yeah, it's just a clap for everybody. All right. Okay, so... Light, dark, okay? So when religion is king, what happens is a lot of people come to church like, okay, yeah, sin's evil. Yeah, I'm in, Tyler. Let's do this. And then religion becomes king. And when somebody has religion be king, this is what they do with the flashlight. Sinner, sinner, evil, evil. Uh, This person right here is the worst. And literally they use their light that God gave them to shame people. And then not only that, when religion is their king, they take the light and go, look how amazing I am. I'm amazing. I'm not like you. I'm amazing. I'm not a sinner anymore because I'm a Pharisee and I do everything right. I'm self-righteous. Nice to meet you. And this is what happens a lot in the churches. Religion becomes king. And so they would count on the, uh, the religiosity to actually save themselves, to set them apart from this gross world. And so they actually hide from the world and don't impact the world. They shame the world. But then when Jesus becomes king of your life, oh, you become this person that says, you see this? This is broken. It was destroyed by this world and the Lord actually restored it. He gave me a new heart. And you start to go, hey, right there, don't, don't, don't go to that king. And the light actually starts to show the, the pitfalls and the traps of this world. And, and it actually, this is what I love about the light. It's supposed to point to the light of all lights. And then people go, what is that light pointing to? It's pointing to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It, everything that you've been looking for, it's, it's right there. It's, it's Jesus. And when people see your life point to Jesus, point to restoration, point to love, point to joy, you can turn the light back on. When, when people see your life, well, those are bright. Jeez. Um, when people see your life actually point to Jesus, it gives them the opportunity to turn against the tide and choose a different king and choose a different kingdom.
My prayer this week is that you would actually choose the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to lead your life. Unplug from this world this week. Unplug from the things that were sold to you that actually would uh, desire pleasure in your life. Oh, and choose the promises of your life. We bow your heads.